and welcome to Something to Talk About, where I take all this gear that I've accumulated over way too many years of podcasting and I put it to a good cause. And tonight's good cause is the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation. And we'll talk a little bit about the significance of that a bit later. So if you enjoyed tonight's podcast, please support the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation. And there is a link on the live to air. And uh, welcome to another episode of Something to Talk About. And I'm actually quite thrilled right now because uh, as someone that has heard this name for the better part of, you know, the last decade and then some, uh, to have him in the basement uh, uh, for a recording of this is pretty cool. We have 13-time Canadian Superbike champion Jordan Zoke. Jordan, introduce yourself properly, because clearly I messed it up. <laughs> well, that sounded pretty good. Uh, I, I've, uh, yeah, I, I forget how many times I've won the championship sometimes. Well, I know the Baker Dozen is something you've been playing with uh, in terms of marketing. Yeah, Is exactly. that still the case? So it's still 13? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, uh, you know, the painters are right now with the new helmets are making some cool uh, Baker's Dozen things and, and uh, you know, on our banners and things. Um I I stay out of the creative department uh, that way uh, a little bit, so I let them run with it. That those minds are better than mine for that and making it look cool. Um, you know, for me, I I never really keep track uh, of all the success. Uh, I I kind of reset. I've always said that I reset every year and start over. You know, and and uh, this is a new year. It's a new championship. Uh, what's happened in the past is the past, and uh, um, but it's it is nice sometimes to to sit back and look at, uh, you know, all the success and, and championships. But, uh, um, like I said, every year is a new year. I'm basically starting from zero again. Well, and I think that's true for, for life. You know, every day is, is a day that, you know, your successes of yesterday were yesterday, right? Ask any salesperson at the end of the month how they feel about, you know, the, their quota being reset the next day, right? Yeah. The, uh, the thing that I, I like about the point that you're saying is you are an all-time winner. Okay, now we live in Brantford. This is a city known for, you know, a certain individual with some some significant world records or Canadian records in, you know, in your particular case. I honestly don't think some of those ones will ever be beat. Like, if I'm not mistaken, one of them is 10 in a row. Is that correct? So I, I uh, back in the day, uh, racers used to compete a lot in two classes, uh, in motocross, in road racing, what I do. A lot of people used to do that. And then eventually it just became down to one class race where you would ride one or the other. Uh, so at one time I'd won five uh, in a row in each class. So I was 10 championships in five years. Wow. And which is unheard of, right? Yeah. And because uh, in sports, uh, especially motorsports, uh, sometimes it's not your fault. No. Right? Uh, someone can hit you and, and take you out. Um, your bike can break. You can, and it's the littlest things that can take you out of a race. The five cent part. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so, um, you know, and there's so many variables with weather and, 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 and like I said, bikes and, and other people out there. Uh, so to, to have that success, uh, to be that consistent for five years in both classes is, is just unheard of. Now, that was what, uh, the pre-08 time frame? What was the years of those five years? It was uh, 2006 to 2010. Okay, so you were in, with two different bikes during that time frame, if I'm not mistaken. It was, it yeah, was, it, was, it was Kawasaki from 06, 7, 8, and 9, and then Honda for 2010. And then uh, um, I had in 2010, I actually, in the one class, had a perfect season, which is another thing that's never 
Now that's what five, six races these days. What what was it? Uh, what was the schedule like? Seven races. Seven races. Yeah, seven nationals. And there's a lot of double headers, or does that include double headers as individual? Um, yeah, does that what typically work? Yeah, I'm I, I'm trying to remember back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's nine years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's any any of our series depending on where they're going uh, is is uh, anywhere from five to seven rounds, and select ones will be double headers. Yeah. yeah. So you're potentially getting a, a a championship over the course of eight, nine, ten races, but not necessarily all the locations have to be unique to be able to pull that off, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, if, for example, when they go all the way out east, it's a long way to go. So they are, and they try to give the fans a little something more and the, and the community out there a little bit more. So they have a double header out mm-hmm. east. And, and uh, you Ma- probably have a build up to that event as well that plays into it. Yeah, exactly. And, and Moss Sport or Canadian Tire yep. Motorsport Park is always a double header because it's the biggest event of the year in Canada. Uh, it's also Mo Sport. Yeah, exactly. I, I, as much as I love Ron, I, I can only call it Mo Sport. Yeah, uh, and you know what? They, you know. They, I think they're pretty casual oh, yeah. about it. Um, they, you know, Canadian Tire is a sponsor oh. there and they get a lot of signage. So for us to call it Mo Sport, they, oh, no, no, it's no. not a big deal. For, 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 <laughs> for, for it to be what it is right now, Okay, uh, to be thriving again, to have all that investment, you know, and we've seen it at its peaks and valleys, right? Uh, I'm thrilled. And, and if it took corporate sponsorship to do that, because you know this as well as anybody else, like your sponsors have been with you for decades. A lot of your sponsors are long terms. You couldn't do this without sponsorship, right? No, that's so. It, you man. know, let's give a prop to the sponsors. But it is the the historical aspects of motorsports, Mo Sport, to me. That's iconic. That is forever. That is not a brand that gets trumped by, you know, the Skydome Skydome. Yeah. You know, what regardless of what it's called, right? Yeah. Exactly. A, a bit of a tangent there. Yeah. But the the reason I bring it up is to do, as you say, a perfect season. That's, you know, potentially eight races. Uh a a a back to back to back to back to back where, you know, during that decade you've seen a lot of people come and go that that have been contenders, I'm sure. To be that guy all this time. Uh, if you were in Europe, you know, the conversation would be completely different. You wouldn't be in my basement. I guarantee you that. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, Europe is, uh, it's a different world. Uh, in Canada, we have, uh, a winter mm. and be a uh, big, long winter. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, uh, be, um, such big distances between cities. Yeah. So in Europe, motorcycling is, is huge. It's bigger, you know, as, as big or bigger than soccer. Right now mm-hmm. it's actually MotoGP is almost bigger than F1 right now. Mm-hmm. The way that, uh, sponsors and fans are th- thriving to that series right now. It's uh, so competitive, uh, uh, with 10 guys going for the win in the first race. So it's, uh, it's, it's a very huge, uh, uh, series. Um, unfortunately, um, North Americans or Canadians, especially, it's very hard for us to get over there. No, it's, it's uh, not a cheap thing to get into. Either. Well, it just, we don't bring anything to the table. Uh, when you hire a Spaniard or an Italian mm. or a British rider that you have the support of that country yeah. and that's where it is. Um, and obviously motorcycle sales are, are, are big over there because the only way to get around those small cities is on a mm-hmm. bike. And, uh, so you know, our biggest market in Canada is, is Quebec, yet they're only allowed to ride. And, you know, if it's a nice warm day here, 
today, for example, I've mm. seen a couple bikes, so you can't ride in Quebec. It's no. illegal. Um, most people don't realize that it's illegal to ride there. So that's it. There's obstacles uh, now, here. I want to understand it. illegal until a particular time frame because yeah. of the winter yeah. tire uh, laws and all yes, that, right? Exactly. So it, it's not just the tires that you have on the car. They are actually banning bikes until a particular time. Yeah, which really, is really I see. I, I'm from Quebec, and I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, if you have that, you know, like like you have that odd hot day, yeah. and uh, people go ride. And, yeah. And uh, you've so, got the insurance on the car uh, on the bike all year round in many cases, yeah, anyways, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, oh, that's, <laughs> I get it because, like I said, I, I, I've seen Quebec winters. I know when you need true winter tires and when you can get away with all season. And yeah, you know, yeah, I, I understand it, but yeah, I, I would hate to have the opportunity to not go for a drive on a nice winter day. Now, granted, I do it with an A-pillar and with four wheels, but, yeah. you know, yeah. So in, in Quebec, for example, the they, it's the b- biggest and best show of the motorcycle mm. c- show circuit in the winter because they're so pumped about riding and they're not allowed. But in the summer, when we have races there, we have small attendance mm-hmm. because the they're out riding. Are, the, the are <laughs> they don't want to be at the track, no. right? So it's kind of a funny situation. Now, we, we've had this conversation uh, on a related topic, indoor flat tracks and stuff like that, do you think that that might come into something like that? Is there a scale of an indoor cape? I guess it'd be impossible to do something like that unless you go oval, right? Yeah, like indoor road racing uh, is is almost impossible. Yeah. You know, you need such a big thing. But there's many, like many series, and the indoor flat track now has a venue in, in Ancaster. Tonight's the opening night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, in Quebec, though, the ice racing is very big. Uh, both snowmobile and motorcycle mm. ice racing is, is huge in Quebec. So they're, they're, you know, the motorcycle industry is healthy, uh, in that aspect. Um, and it's, it's doing well for sure. You bring up, uh, winter bike racing, um, in Quebec, obviously I'm a huge Villeneuve fan. So, you know, the idea of learning how to race on a skidoo and go into the Formula One, when you're on a bike, let alone the fact that you're on a bike, because, you know, like I said, I'm a four wheel kind of guy on ice walk me through that because i saw the photos and i'm like spike tires i'm assuming yeah so there there's a bunch of different ways you can go about it we run uh i actually ride on one of the smaller studs uh i don't use the the bigger ones i'm not competing uh i'm more so you do this for fun or is this a timed event it's uh i i do all the ice riding just for fun and training Mm -hmm. um and i ride with the best guys and i ended up being out there with the best guys in canada anyway so it turns into a race yeah yeah. (laughs) but uh in uh picking up the rental car turns into a race yeah exactly but uh no the traction uh and the forgivability believe it or not on the ice is better than any um other side Really? So if you rode like I rode on on the ice, if you rode like that on the pavement mm. or in the dirt bike or on a flat track, you'd be crashed. You'd be mm. you'd be dead. Uh, it's so forgiving. You can slide and save it, or and the traction level is so predictable. So most people think ice slippery, but actually ice uh, is very consistent. Very consistent slippery. with the with the studs yeah. and and the traction. Obviously, uh, we're leaning over so far. You can see in all those photos. It's it's fantastic, and if you do fall because it's ice, usually you just slide. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the the risk reward factor is awesome. One one of the things that I learned back in the go kart days was you in some cases you want to be ejected from the go kart. Is that similar with a bike? 
in that, that you do not want to be along for the ride if something goes bad? Oh, for sure. You want to be uh, as far as away from the motorcycle as possible. Uh, a lot of people have been killed by, you know, you go into an air fence, it saves you, mm. but then the bike comes in and, mm. and, and hits you uh, and At kills speed, you. yeah. Yeah, so you want to be um, as far away. You know, when you hit the ground, the first thing you're looking for is where the bike is and then make sure you're not near it, yeah. Yeah, because I've always wondered, you know, in that type of scenario, and it just makes sense to me. Once again, I'm, I'm talking from someone that, you know, has the benefit of a roll cage or A-pillars in a day-to-day -day drive. It's... I, I, I couldn't I couldn't fathom you know, just put it in context. I've seen uh, you're on board around motorboard and I know that track very well and I'm like I'm crazy enough to do it with four wheels. For you to do it in two with your knees where they are and your face where it is going through two and four and it's just mind blowing. So maybe for my own sake, walk me through Mosport in your eyes because it's such an iconic track. It's one that I know personally so so I can relate to it. I can't fathom how you would do that because it's crazy man yeah like i i love uh riding there um sometimes the racing um is a little bit frustrating mm. because uh mossport is such a high speed track I well it's two tracks right like there's the maneuverability of the first half almost and then there's the straight uh, you know in the curve yeah the whole thing though is is like a daytona mm. it, it, to me uh it's it's just wide open even oh, on the superbike, yeah, right? Okay. It's so wide open. So See, right there, a big difference. I don't get that feeling. Yeah, so it, it basically, if you're a second off the pace, yeah. but you get in the lead group with the, like, say you're off a second off the pace in practice, but you get into the lead group there in the draft, and all of a sudden you can win the race. You don't need to be the fastest so, so guy. So drafting plays still in bikes. And once again, I, I'm, I'm willfully unaware of certain specifics. So you... There's drafting. Drafting. I didn't is think more, there'd be enough there. No, it's it's more important in bikes yeah. than any sport, even wow. more than the cars. Um, if someone goes up the back straightaway and they're two wides, for example, yeah, and I'm third in line, and I'm so it's like the 500 in that sense. You, you are getting that pull, and you're just going to oh, back yeah. them. Yeah. You so go the fly amount of and buy them. So you you going up the back straight as an example, you know, uh, one guy does five five a five b well, and a few others do it wrong, and they're slightly off their their drag and whatnot. Yeah, you can slingshot off of that. That is spectacular. Yeah, you uh, don't never need, really. You don't need to be quick through five a and b uh, to stay with the lead pack. Wow. If you're if there's two or three guys ahead of you and you're getting that draft, uh, by the time you get three quarters on the, the straightaway, you're on your rev limiter. Wow. Yeah. I, I see, and once again, like I said, all my weekends for the most part at the racetracks, and like I said, I've been at Mont Tremblant and Shannonville, and the list goes on. Have always been four wheel days. So, you know, we we've shared the same real estate, but have never shared, you know, the the same yeah. group. Yeah. And I know the people that that do the biking, and you're all crazy for that because Shannonville, to a degree, I get it's flat, but when I look at the elevation changes of something like a Mosport, I'm just in a bike at yeah. speed. Yeah. Well, then, and that's it. Like, so, um, and tell me, you, you probably got a lap record there at some point, or do I, you have I, the? I have the. Uh, I have not the race lap record. I have the qualifying lap wow, record. And what is that? Out of curiosity, uh, st so I actually have a faster lap, oh but it doesn't count because it wasn't in an official qualifying. Or so, right. what's the fastest you've done on a bike? So, so I have the lap record right now at, at a one twenty point five, and I did in practice uh, a one twenty point four. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, American Le Mans prototypes were in the 107th time frame. So you're you're what 13 seconds off. But we have a higher uh, top speed. You do. Yeah. 
Wow. So the issue, You're geared for that much more tough speed. Well, yeah, I guess you would, yeah. The, the issue is is uh, um, a bike has about an inch contact patch. Yeah. A car, the tires on those things are almost two feet wide on the mm. rear, right? Mm-hmm. They're huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so because our tires are round... Uh, like as not, in the curvature, the curvature not as in yeah. The, yeah. yeah. So we, as we're leaning over, our contact patch is always changing. Where a car's contact patch is always the same, mm. and the downforce they create, obviously, Le Mans car can mm. drive upside mm. down. Yes, yeah. And uh, um, so they they don't even lift for those corners. And it's uh, where we're braking and going down two or three gears. They're so still you're, staying you're, flat out. You're not getting um, as much downforce, obviously, uh, because there's just not enough stuff there to, to well, do stuff. Here's another thing. Yeah. When your car's in a corner, yeah. the suspension's still working. Yeah. When a bike's in the corner, the suspension's working less because you're leaned over and now it's not going straight up and down. So now you're relying on the flex and harmonics yeah. of the body, yeah. of the frame, the, the actual and the way chassis, everything yeah. flexes. And so we lose our suspension to a, to a degree. And uh, so it, it's a, just a different world. Oh, so that. motorcycles... Um, end up with higher top speeds because the power to weight ratio is phenomenal. Yeah. But we uh, we lack in the uh, the grip. And see, because I always wonder, you know, slicing through air, because, you know, there's that drag of when you get to a certain speed, you're, you know, you, you are going against, a, you know, a certain barrier. Uh, I always wondered how that played out without, you know, you're basically just, you know, you're the visor, or not the visor, but the little windshield or whatnot, that's pretty much the main part that's deflecting air from what I can tell. You don't, you don't have any other major bits on that thing that deal with... Well, MotoGP and, and obviously all the motorcycles yeah. now are, are, are very sophisticated with the ergonomics of the body and all that to get air around the rider, to create downforce. Uh, MotoGP uh, just had a huge uh, appeal today about a downforce part on the Ducati um, from the first race. Um, and all the wings that they're running on the bikes now, it, it's uh, it's becoming a big issue. Because but in your series, you don't have well, the stock uh, manufacturers exactly, obviously are yeah. building these this into the bikes. into the bikes now, right? right? Yeah. So the model that you just you're taking apart now, when you retrofit that, um, how much of that is aerodynamic? If if I just out of curiosity, um, well, it, a lot of it is obviously the uh, the the bodywork. Uh, you know, I, I think Kawasaki is the bike itself is state of the art. I think the bodywork is a little behind in, in the aerodynamic department. I mean, I'm sure they'll make some changes in the next few years. And now, are, are those bits that you're allowed to modify at this stage, or do you have to stay? No, not with that, right? Okay. So, with the super bike rules, uh, they have to work on what comes on the bike. So, if you look in World Superbike right now, Ducati's been winning where, Ducati, where Kawasaki has mm-hmm. been dominant. And I think a lot of it is coming down to the aero package mm-hmm. on the bike. And Caddy's released a new bike with all these aero bits on it that's sold to the public. So that's how their argument. So I, I would imagine Kawasaki in the aero department, you'll see that in the future. Um, it's not such a big deal at our tracks. Well, and I think that that was the other aspect of it as well, is where does everything play into, you know, uh, the competition level and whatnot. When you look at the upcoming season, as an example, in the variety of tracks, and, you know, we just kind of focused on tracks initially, so let me just hit on that. Are there certain tracks that that appeal to you more? Like, obviously, I picked one uh, personal preference, but, you know, that you've, you've seen far more tracks than me. Um, yeah, you know, like, just some that suit your eye. It's like uh, like a golf golfer, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a certain shot, certain courses suit their eye. Um, 
for me, uh, I do better at real racetracks, the, the uh, like Mossport, the Trom- ones that were built for racing, for racing, yeah, like Tremblant. Yeah, um, sh- you know, Shannonville, I don't do so well at in my mind. I mean, I've won there lots, but um, the f- funny thing is the little crappy track that I love is closing this year is St. Estache. I don't mm. know why. I just I just love that little track. It reminds me. Do you of get what, to do one final race there? Yeah, we're, oh, this nice. is it this year. Yeah. yeah. So it, it reminds me of uh, like one of our little ice racing tracks. Mm. So I have a lot of fun there. Um, but uh, yeah, Tremblant, Calabogie, Mossport, those tracks suit me uh, where you have to be able to put a whole lap together and uh, and have a good bike set up. And uh, uh, like a flat track, um, you know, it's not, it's just, I've never done as well at the flatter tracks. Mm-hmm. No, and like I said, and I'm assuming with the Shannonville as an example, you're running what the long, the full long, the loop on that one. So they do the pro track at Shannonville, okay. which isn't there's there's four tracks yeah. there. The long one we used to do, but now we do the pro track, um, and uh, but all of them are flat. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's also trust me, you know, you've been there. I'm sure it's it's you don't want to go off at Shannonville, even though it's flat. It is a dangerous off field like it's just yeah there's well you're on the canadian shield there's, yeah there's it's crevices and unfortunately shannonville needs uh a lot of money yeah. yeah it's 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 beautiful i love the fact that it's a multi uh, uh configuration course and a drag strip as well like it has all of those classic bits that you see you know that were built for that purpose right yeah uh and i actually you know even though it's flat, I, I've had some of my my most fun laps uh, around Shannonville. It's just it's uh, it's a fairly, you know, especially when you're doing all the turns. There's a lot of complexity there to map it all together. And as you, you well know, when you get a, a lap where all those things connected and you're coming out of the corner properly, it's a good feeling, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And you know, it, it's got a lot of opportunity with the right money. You know, I I have a, a vision of, there. If you you know basically build one good long track. And you don't need all these four yeah. tracks. And then obviously their drag st- strips popular have that. And uh, they really need to focus on having a proper road course there and a proper paddock. And then they oh, can the get... the paddock is non-existent. Yeah, much. yeah. Or, or the pit lane yeah. needs to be improved. So I, I think, uh, you know, it's got a great potential. It's a good one for the fans because it's easy access. There's oh, and you see everything too. Yeah, and you see everything. Exactly. Yeah, so that's you know compare that to you know your your big big tracks like a Montreal or a Mosport or whatnot or Calabogie or whatnot. You pick a corner and you're stuck there with with a Shannonville. You see all the action at all times for the most part. So yeah, it's kind of nice. I think I I had that appreciation the first time I ever went to a, see an oval race. I, I didn't think why would I go you know enjoy ovals or whatnot. But you got to see everything all the time. It was all there, and it was like okay, I get this. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. a fan sport, right? Um, back to bikes. And once again, I don't want to go through the childhood stuff too much. Your father came into conversation a lot. Your family came into it in the pre-conversation. Tell me about growing up, uh, learning, you know, the trade that got you to where he is. Well, obviously, yeah, my dad was uh, heavily involved with uh, motorcycles. Uh, You know, Brantford uh, is a strong motorcycling community. Um, Big in the trials, actually, the Brantford community. There's a lot of trials riders here. So uh, now, for those that may not understand what a trials ride, could you explain that very quickly? Yeah, so it's uh, it's I compare it to golf because it's basically uh, uh, the lowest score wins, and so the more times you put your feet down, the more points you get. So you don't want points, and uh, it's all about balance and control and riding over obstacles such as rocks, logs, or someone's car. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, the trials is a lot of fun. It teaches you patience and control. Um, I feel that everybody who wants to ride a motorcycle should have to take a trials course because 
to go fast, you need to work the controls, and trials is the key to the, all that. Well, and, it's the extension of your body at that point in time. I've seen you do the launch up on the uh, on the cliff with the bike. That's almost as if you sprint, you know, springing your your legs and going for a jump. The, yeah, the bike was the part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's a beautiful uh, training aid to everything else that you can do on a motorcycle for sure. And uh, so we have a great community here in in Brantford for trials and. Uh, uh, so I, my dad was a part of that, and he was also part of the ice riding, and he was a part of the road racing. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it was uh, motorcycle events every. So you weekend. grew up I- 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 around bikes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. From from get go. Yeah. This was it. Yeah. There was no four wheels. It was two wheels. Though. Yeah. No, I've done some car racing and kart racing uh, when I was younger, and and I do some car stuff here and there now, uh, help with some teaching and mm-hmm. things like that. Well, the me- mechanics and the concepts of how to, you know, handle a corner, ta- tackle certain lines and whatnot, I'm sure are consistent. Yeah. I can go out and run with anybody in a car. Yeah. I, a car to me, driving a car is yeah. a lot easier. Um, believe it or not, I, I'm not disrespecting. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. But, uh, Andrew Ranger's a cool, uh, oh, guy uh, and he's, he's, uh, obviously a famous Canadian yeah. car racer. He's yeah. very accomplished and a great guy. And we're teammates uh, at Mopar, and uh, if you want to look at it that way. But he's yeah. also uh, a, a Quebec ice race champion I on a not, motorcycle. I did not know that. Right? So uh, he's, a, he, you know, obviously he's used those skills to, to further his car racing career. Mm. And uh, most motorcycle guys who get into car racing are very successful. Mm. Very, very successful. I mean, all these MotoGP guys test F1 cars all the time, and they're just as fast. Well, the, the one thing that I, when I did the, the Formula 2000 at the, the smaller uh, Mosport, at the development track, uh, the fact that I could see the apex through the, through the axles and, and the wheel, you know, as opposed to in a car where you're kind of blinded to where the wheel is relative to the corner, it gave me an appreciation one step forward to that of what a bike would feel like when you're going through the corner. You're seeing everything there. It's, it's like me taking my glasses off and, you know, yeah. looking close up. If you're able to do it at that level, at the macro level, if you will, to pull that back and put yourself into a sedan, um, I, I could only imagine you'd be, a, you know, competitive. It's the skills are, are and the craziness, I, for lack of a better term. I know I say that a couple of times. You're crazy, man, for going around, you know, on yeah. two wheels. Yeah, yeah. Like, and like I said, like, it, it's an easy transition. Um, obviously, we get in, uh, motorcycle riders get in cars, and we're, now we have no fear because there's all this metal mm. protecting us. So the all that um, nervousness is gone because mm. you're like, I can hit anything. I'm going to be fine. And, um, and then just because you have to be pers- so precise on a motorcycle, there isn't any forgiveness because the contact mm-hmm. patches are so small. A car, you can slide and get out of it. Motorcycles will spit you off. Um, so to get into a car, it's much more forgiving than a motorcycle. Uh, it's an easy transition for me. Like I said, uh, um, I've driven some cars with some fast drivers and, and blown them away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would love to make that transition, you know, as, as I'm getting beat up and older. Um, but, you know, it's tough. There's not a lot of opportunity out there anymore, you know, especially in the car world. It's really a rich man's sport, unfortunately. Um, you know, if you look at Lance, he's doing a great job, yeah. our Canadian, but his dad bought the team. Mm. So it's uh, not to take anything away from him. No, but no. Uh, it, it, car racing is a very rich man's sport, and the unfortunate part of motorcycle racing is it's going down that road too. Yeah. 
uh, you know, bring up Lance as the example. Here's a here's a guy that bought himself, his father being, you know, uh, bought himself his tr- own track for his own cars. And thankfully, every so often we get to drive on Montana Blas as a result. But, you know, yeah, anybody that's willing to spend a million dollars just to have a, uh, uh, a fire hydrant, uh, you know, to be able to get his house where he needs to be and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's as you say. And, and good for him. Though, good right? for him. Yeah. He, he worked his ass off for that you know and uh, like i said going back 20 years ago when you first started hearing about to go from that conversation where you went oh this guy's got it made to now hearing that he's basically got a canadian formula one team like they well you would have been there i would assume because i know you were doing stuff at the uh, at the car show they launched in toronto that was the first time a formula one team ever launched on canadian soil yeah yeah and that's like like, i "I can't take that away no yes it's a money game but yeah yeah, no, I'm, but it's uh, it's good for him. It's good for the sport. It's good for Canada. Yeah. But it's uh, like I said, it's a struggle for someone who doesn't come out of a, no. a rich family to get to that level. Yeah. Um, I, I had the the pleasure of interviewing um, uh, someone that knew Gilles Villeneuve quite well, and um, you know, someone like Gilles would not have even been looked at, you know, because the guy didn't have a penny to his name. Yeah, you know what I mean. He wouldn't have even gotten into the door. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's not only is there less and less and less and less seats every day, and you, know, you see that in, in GT racing where all the open wheel racers, when they all of a sudden decide to get into the GT game. Yeah. You know, the, well, I, I lost my Fer- my first ride. I lost to money was my Ferracci ride. Uh, Matt Waite came back with money mm-hmm. from MotoGP and uh, at the time, and and I lost my place. And then a few years later, I had a uh, Schwantz helped me uh, put a contract together with uh, WCM team, which was the Red Bull team in MotoGP, to ride for them when they went over to the four-stroke. And someone brought money to the team, and I lost my contract to that. So, um, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities to go overseas um, and and race for those teams. But uh, it's it's just tough because you don't bring anything to the table. Um, And... uh, you know, I had, it used to be a lot of Canadians in the U.S. series when it was strong, and that was awesome. I actually came back from the U.S. series to Canada to make more money because our series was so strong at the time. But uh, it, it, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a very political game, uh, I guess you could say. But uh, sponsors uh, uh, want to do what's uh, best for them as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, like I said, uh, for the series that, that I've been following, a lot of them are multi-driver, you know, uh, stints, right? So quite often you would have the factory driver is taking over one of the seats, you know, now you're not paying for the factory driver, but at the same time, you're not getting money in from another driver to, you know, pay your bills at the end of the day. So even getting the factory driver is not necessarily a godsend sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a tricky business. That's for sure. Yeah. And, And to your point, it's no longer in the era of tobacco and all of that, where, you know, the advertising behemoths that, that were running around racing and, you know, you could turn on the TV on a Saturday and there'd always be a race of something because, you know, they could afford it. Yeah. Uh, now everything is mostly live and most people don't even, you know, have live TV anymore. So unless you're actually seeing it. Well, there's a lot of, obviously, if you yeah. follow F1, there's a lot of turmoil right now with uh, the tobacco companies mm. coming in with different names and, and things like that. But unfortunate part is racing is sponsorship. And if you want to, you know, spend 70 something or $80 million a year, it is to, to run a MotoGP team. You need support. Yeah. <laughs> well, you said something earlier and it, it applies. A lot of people think it's 
uh, about racing and it's about selling, you know, bikes or selling products or selling something at the end of the day, these people are either, um, putting the money into it because they've got more than enough that they need to have some fun, you know, and then we've got plenty of examples of that. But at the other one is they expect to make some form of return, you know, like when you're, you know, you're dealing with a, a brand of a motorcycle. They expect to see more of those motorcycles uh, sales go up. That's uh, it. You well, know, they see there's here lies yeah. the problem. So right now, for example, uh, they can their argument is, for example, you know, Kawasaki or mm-hmm. whoever can say, well, yeah, we we're passionate about racing, we're involved with racing, but there's no direct proof that this is selling motorcycles. Mm-hmm. They all know it does, but there's no physical evidence, and. Uh, um, you know, there's companies out there, for example, in the U.S. series or, or any of the car series stuff, uh, we get sponsor counts. So what they would do mm. is how well you're doing, you're going to get more TV time. And they'll show, mm. oh, that sponsor was on the TV this many times. This is what that would have cost if you were going to have a commercial. And then you can go back to your sponsors and say, look, you just got $30,000 in TV time. Mm-hmm. And then that's one way to justify it. And that's how these brands, Kawasaki, for example, would justify their spending all that money on World Superbike is they look at their TV and what would it cost to have a commercial. Well, and you're also not only having a commercial, but you're playing that commercial in a very targeted time frame to a very targeted audience that has a higher point of conversion. Yeah. As opposed to just a normal commercial that may play at 3 o'clock in the morning to the wrong audience. That's it, right? You know, so, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, in the world that I live in, uh, you know, how many impressions do you get on a paper relative to a digital piece? And what's the cost of a Facebook ad versus an imprint in the local paper? I pretty much guarantee I can get a larger exposure for less. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? But nothing beats holding that piece of paper that has you, and here's my ad. Yeah, exactly. You don't see anybody holding up their phone and going, here's my ad on Facebook. <laughs> it's you know it. what I mean? So there are still some old school realities yeah. uh, that apply well, Mopar, for example, yes. is a great is a great one because they spon- now they're the series sponsor, right? And, but they're my title sponsor. They're also your t- okay, gotcha. So they're the series series sponsor, but we're the, the title sponsor of my team. And the people go, especially when I'm at a car show and or a car a, a mm-hmm. thing with Mopar as one of their dealers or something. They're like, why do we sponsor a motorcycle team? We're a car company. Well, you go well. How do you get motorcycles to the track mm-hmm. with a pickup truck mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a trailer? Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So they sell trucks, and uh, which which is really nice. Uh, one of the switches to Kawasaki. One of the reasons why is it's a very nice working relationship with all my sponsors. Mm. Uh, Mopar, there's no conflict with Kawasaki, mm-hmm. right? They're not building trains or ships, which yep. Kawasaki builds. Uh, there. So the show I was just at Motorama. Mm-hmm. Um, Chrysler, Mopar, they had Kawasaki bikes in the back of all their trucks. So it's, a, it's a great working relationship. Uh, BMW, not to take anything away from them. We've been, we're still friends. We've had a lot of success. But Mopar couldn't do that with them because no. they compete in the car world. So now with Kawasaki, there's a little more uh, cooperative now. Like, for example, John's going to decal up one of their new Jeeps and put Kawasaki on it for their shows. Mm. So we can work together and cross-promote and, and uh, reach out to uh, a, a more audience. And that's why they're involved with us because now they want to get at the bike world where people need trucks for their, for their yep. going dirt biking with their kids. 
And, and to your point, it's not just, uh, you know, the, the two wheeler, there's the ATVs. I'm sure that they also are trying to sell in that mix as well. It's, you know, that, that, that overall passion of not having a, you know, a helmet on your head as opposed to a chassis around your body type of thing. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? Um, but to your point, it's knowing those, uh, upsells or cross sells, uh, and knowing how to leverage that. Because as you say, when I walk into a pitch, regardless of what it is, using yours as an example, you know, yes, these are the things that they need relative to this. Leather, you know, helmets, uh, you know, you're going to travel, you know, da, 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 da. how do you incorporate side uh, pieces of that sponsorship, right? Especially, like I said, with bikers where most of them are, will, will go in, in a large group, you know. Yeah, it's it's a you don't see that with with car people where you're going to have, you know, 300 bikers as 300 car guys. It just doesn't have that same feel. So when you're able to, as you say, get the impressions in front of that real group, a it's a passionate group and it's the proper group. So, yeah, I I got a funny story for for you. I uh, so I rode for Harley the last year. They had a factory superbike in the U.S. They had a superbike. Yeah, I, yeah. I would have never thought of Harley <laughs> as a superbike. Yeah, oh, see, yeah. I learned that. And like, it was um, it wasn't as successful. Everybody always looked at oh, the thing broke and blew up all the time. Mm. But um, it didn't break or blow up really that much more than everybody else. It just wasn't as fast as everybody else. Mm. And the chassis was fantastic. Actually, it handled really well. The engine was the characteristics of the engine was awesome. They were just down on a little bit of power, and the bodywork was really, really bad. Back to the aerodynamic mm. part of it, they everybody else had a big step on them, um, especially at turn one at Laguna, where it's over a hill mm-hmm. wide open, and you're leaned over. The bike would lift up like a sail, and I would have to roll out of the throttle, where everybody else was able to hold it wide open. Oh, that's yeah, I know that corner. So I, right, I, I go, yeah, yeah. So turn one is actually not really a turn; it's a straightaway, yep. right? right. And, uh, but, uh, so I was riding for Harley the last year and they were a great company to ride for. It was a very nice time and we had a great team and, uh, I, we were at Milwaukee, which is Road America, which mm-hmm. is one of the best tracks in the world. Track. It's beautiful. Yeah. And one of my favorite tracks in the world, I'll be honest with you, I really like it. Um, and so it was a rain race and I was <coughs> charging towards the front and I'm convinced I would have been on the podium, mm. right? Which is, was a big deal back then because mm-hmm. it was there was 14 factory bikes on the grid and then the privateers. It was yeah. the heyday. And you were running as a privateer back then. We were then, running right? as a factory privateer. Pri- yeah, because I, I didn't think that Harley was a full-blown. Well, they, well, they had two factory okay. riders and I was the third. Gotcha. So okay. uh, we were still factory, um, but we we're, we were considered factory privateers. So yeah. we were like... like you had the, the thir- spare parts. We were the third rider on the team, basically. Yeah. So um, we it was raining, which is an equalizer, as mm. we all know. And I was charging to the front and I crashed. And, uh, so my race is over Mm. and I walk over to the fence and Aaron Yates, who's a huge American idol at that time, uh, another racer, Mm. Suzuki rider. And he's just sitting there and I'm talking to him. Hey man, what's up? Well, because Milwaukee is the home of Harley, there's a million Harley fans here. They didn't care about mm-hmm. Aaron Yates. Yeah. They they were all over me because I was a Harley rider. They're trying to give me beers and want me to talk to them. I was in the crowd. I was getting swarmed. Well, the same time I crashed, another rider crashed caused red flags. So my crash didn't count. So my crew's trying to get, get, a hold of, get through the crowd yeah. to get me back to the pits for the restart. And they couldn't get at me. And here's this superstar Aaron Yates nobody wanted yeah. to talk to. And they all want to talk to me because I was wearing Harley leathers. So it was such a great feeling that they are so supportive of the Harley, no matter where it was finishing. 
And uh, anyway, I made it back to the pits. They couldn't get my bike back together in time. So I had to start from the back of the grid and I still made it to seven. Mm. So I think if they would have got my, through that crowd quicker and I could have got back in my starting position, I could have been on the podium that race. But anyways, a funny story about uh, uh, the support of the bikers in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the field there. It's the one thing I, 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 I've seen it enough and I, I see it when, when you have true fans and you know, like I said, you've been, you're, you're getting into your fourth decade of racing, you know, so, so you've accumulated, you know, fandoms over the years. It is an interesting feeling and I've seen people do their first autograph, you know, they weren't comfortable with their first autograph and now they're a multi-year champion type of thing or whatnot. And it's like that evolution, how does it feel you know, for the last X amount of years being surrounded as the number one guy in Canada. Yeah, it's, you know, it's awesome. I, 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 nobody tr- takes more time for the fans than me. I, I, I appreciate it all. You know, I'm uh, very humble that way. Um, a it, lot of Canadian racers are like that, by the way. It's, yeah. it's consistent. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, for me, um, like I just wanted to go race. The, the fans uh, cheering for you is, is just a bonus. And uh, I try to do what I can for them. I try to make them feel like they're really a part of it all. And, uh, and I've, I've been fortunate to, uh, sign a lot of posters over my, my life. And I remember, you know, in those heydays we talked about from 06 to 09, Mm -hmm. at the end of the week race weekend, when the fans come, I would be an hour and a half in my leathers Mm -hmm. after the race Mm -hmm. signing posters. Right. And, uh, so it was awesome. I got to see, uh, see a lot of cool things. And, uh, it's funny now as you get older, I, I still do the same, but some, you know, you get tired. You're like, okay, I got to take a break. And my son, uh, when we're doing our shows, he signs every, he sat Did in he? 37 degree temperatures out in the sun signing posters. And if I miss one, he gives me so much <laughs> shit. Dad, he starts, he gets mad <laughs> and I'm laughing. I go, okay, well I say to him, hey, give me, give him 20 years and yeah. see if he's, <laughs> how he's doing. It's, uh, I, you know, like I know some racers will have uh, two autographs. There's the ones that they do really quickly that they're not even watching. You know what I mean? It's a, and then there's the one the elaborate. And I'll tell you the ones that have always impressed me is, were the Petties, uh, both Richard and Kyle. The autograph that that Richard Petty would write, he would stare at you, he'd talk to you, and it'd be like a two minute process of doing this autograph. He took the time, whereas a lot of the other ones, it's a check mark. Yeah, know, type yeah. Of thing. That touch point, you know, going back to sponsors, going back to the end point of it, is the customer experience. These are future prospects. These are potential customers. These are people that will walk away from that event. And if you have any influence on their buying power through that weekend, you know, you want it to be a positive one. And, yeah, sometimes it means an hour and a half sweating in your, you know, your race stink. I I think my leather, my, sorry, my signature is pretty good. You yeah. can read my last name pretty good. And it's very, uh, it's been the same for 20 years. Have you been consistently for 20 yeah, years? Really? Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. And uh, I think it's pretty legible. I always look back at Arnold Palmer. Uh, I'm a huge golf fan. I, I can I, tell. you A lot of your references are yeah, golf related. Yeah, yeah. I, I, a lot of them are. And because they're extraordinary athletes. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they have to physically be obviously uh, fit. 
to hit thousands and thousands of balls that they hit. Unless you're John Daly. Unless you're John Daly. <laughs> the one yeah, exception the to one the rule. one exception. But these guys, are they, they're in the gym at 5 in the morning yeah. before their tee-off times. You know, Tiger Woods had a 7 o'clock tee-off time the other day, or 6 o'clock because it was like a rain delay. Mm. And it's 6, 6 or 6.30, and they asked him what time he was getting up. He said 2, 2.30 to prepare for a 6.30 tee time. And uh, so they're extraordinary athletes, mm. but the mental game, mm. you can bring that to any sport, like to mentally prepare yourself for the pressure. Because when you get into a race, all of our pressure is before the race. Mm-hmm. Once the flag drops, you forget about oh, all yeah. that. So those guys have to do it every shot. Every time they walk up to their ball, they got to push that aside. It's the most... And, immense... you're sur- and they're surrounded by people for the yeah, most part while they're walking around. It's phenomenal uh, what they have to go through mentally. So I, a lot of my golf, or a lot of my, yeah. rela- my thing is the golf related. And Arnold Palmer would give, if the young uh, golfers coming up, he mm. would give them so much trouble if their signature was not legible. And he was adamant on having a proper signature. Mm. And I always thought about that. And uh, just the true professionalism of that man uh, and uh, is something to be learned from for sure. And, and I think when I brought up Petty, it's that same caliber of professionalism. This was an embodiment of a sport in, in, under a hat. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, I know I'm bringing up the, the, the four-wheel people, but these are all people that I'm sure, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, they're all part of the same clique, they're just, you know, different different tools of the trade. Exactly, right? exactly. But the the process of winning, the process of going into a new season. You said earlier, a lot of it is this is your first year almost. It's all you know. You haven't done anything else up until today. Once you start, you're going into this year with something that, if I know my history correctly, your foot for the last couple of years has not been the best foot. <laughs> no, I unfortunately, uh, if you if you uh, suffer life injury here outside you trip and break your neck or get hit by a car mm. or something you know our medical system is fantastic they rush you in the hospital you don't have to pay for it they save your life you go home mm-hmm. you know but for the day day-to-day stuff our medical system is horrible mm-hmm. um, i would gladly uh take the u.s medical system yeah. people don't realize that the what's hard you know i i would pay less tax i'd love to pay less tax and pay for my own medical mm-hmm. The problem is, is people aren't responsible enough to pay for their yeah. medical. So, for example, last week I had an MRI in the U.S. I, I needed an MRI, uh, and it was uh, August, was as close as they could get me in. So I called up the U.S., and I had one in two days. Yeah. And it was only 500 U.S. I'm like, I mean, it's a lot of money. No, but it's... But I had my result, and you know when you get an MRI here, it's two weeks for the results. Then you got to get an appointment with your doctor, which is another three yeah. weeks. I sat with the doctor... After my MRI, I got the full lowdown, and he spent he go, made sure I had answered every one of my questions. So, anyways, long yeah, story no, no, short, it's, it, it, I've heard it in many cases, oh, especially at the like if you're going to get hurt, you want to get hurt at the track. Well, most people you're getting 100 percent attention the, right the, there. The Leafs they get hurt. Yeah. Our beloved hockey, as yeah. our Canada is, most of the they go they're going to the U.S. Yeah. They're getting fixed, right? So, um, anyways, so I broke my ankle in a training accident three years ago, or three. November was three years ago. So I'd been limping on it for three years and it was not good. And finally got to the right doctor. They Nobody wanted they, to operate on it. We, they don't, surgeons don't get enough money from the government. Mm. They're not actually not allowed to operate on it. They don't have enough operating time. So uh, it was broken still. And the ligament was snapped. So I had no leg. Or, and, and never really heals because you're on that. No, thing so I have, I have a snapped ligament mm-hmm. and there's a bone moving around. 
So because it had waited so long, the bone's now rotten. Yeah. So they had to throw the bone out, and then they put a, a new ligament in. So uh, now I'm super stable, and I'm I'm recovering really well, and I'm feeling a lot better. Now my hip was it, isn't hurting me as much. My back's not hurting. Well, me yeah, as everything much. else was compensating <laughs> yeah. for it a lot too, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm doing awesome. I'm so really... you're going into this season, new team new body to for lack of a better term uh, great spirit from what i can tell yeah. you know uh, and one of the things that i came across it when i was uh, researching and i think it was your uh, hall of fame uh, induction thing and it said uh, you want to be able to win a race after 2020 because you want to be a winner in four decades so yeah. we're getting damn close to that yeah and my... you got a two-year contract that'll put you into that time frame so i think it's safe to say that you know well, yeah, I'd, I would love to uh, win a championship, one more championship at least. Yeah, uh, I think you got at least one more in your belt. Yeah, that's my so. goal is uh, to bring Kawasaki one. Um, you now, had, you've got how many with them championships? Uh, I have five with okay. them out of six years. With okay. them. Six and a half years of riding with them, and I got five championships. Um, so I would love to bring them because they've stuck their head out to get back in the sport uh, with me. They approach you? Um, we sorry, we, I didn't mean no, to. No, do it's you, sorry, yeah. no, no, it's okay. We we all talk. Um, you gotta remember, like uh, a lot of these guys come and go, mm-hmm. right? Or or oh, the reps too, the or reps yeah. and all that, and people. I've been in an industry since the early '90s, so mm-hmm. I've seen it all. I've been through the good times, so I try to uh, be friendly with everybody, and I try to educate some of them on what has happened in the past, even at their own company that they don't know about. And, um, I always try to encourage and I, cause I'm, my heart's for the sport, not just me. Mm-hmm. And I always try to give advice. So I sat down with Brad and I said, Hey, you know, going forward, if you need any help, if there's ever an opportunity for me to help you, not even, even for competing, mm-hmm. that's fine. And, you know, and Amy's uh, ridden for Cowie, we helped out with the kids. So we have a good, just friendly relationship. And, uh, so I sat down and pushed him a bit and, and showed him the shop and showed him how to explain and explained all how to be professional in a race team. I think they were lacking some professionalism with who they were involved with. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, I wanted to, to bring that back to them because I basically educated him on how it was before his mm-hmm. time there. He wouldn't have never he experienced, would never experienced it. Yeah. it. That I've developed all my professionalism from how Kawasaki was running their team in the 90s and the 2000s. So I said, well, let's get it back to that. Um, Kawasaki has always been a great fit for me. Mm-hmm. Some riders suit certain bikes. You know, I went from riding a Honda that wasn't so good in 04 and 05. It was a bad bike everywhere in the world, chassis-wise. It was fast, reliable, but it didn't work perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then I jumped on the Cali that a lot of people were struggling on, and I won. It, it, they just, it's, it suits my style. So uh, obviously the BMW is a very good bike, but it, I always felt that um, I was struggling just to ride how I naturally wanted to ride a little bit on it. Mm. Um, so going back to the Cali, I was really excited because it's a bike that has always suited my style. You know, for 20, 30 years, Yamaha, Suzuki, Cali, Honda, they all breed their ideas into these bikes. Mm. You can ride a bike that's 30 years old and it feels similar in some ways because that mindset doesn't change in the company. It's their DNA. Yeah. And uh, so the DNA of a Cowie always suits me and it's a great fit. Um, you know, I buy my dirt bikes from them all those years. So we were, we're always together. So it was a, it's a very positive going to the future. Uh, it's a stepping stone 
like I said, I can't thank BMW enough, but they're a small company, Canadian, mm-hmm. where there's no future after racing. Yep. Where Kawasaki, there could be yeah. some future. Well, you're at a stage in your life now where, you know, you've got your side gigs, for lack of a better term, your side events, and there's other passions in play. But as much as you're still thinking about now in terms of racing, you're already in that planning stage of what do I bring to the table for the next 20 years or whatever that may be? Yeah. Because I, at the end of the day, you still got a family. Yeah, that's it. You know, and I want to stay involved. I love it. And, you know, uh, there's key sponsors, like you said, have been with me for decades. Mm. You know, Chrysler has been such a great sponsor, Mopar. I'm really hoping after my racing, we can stay involved at some levels. I'm sure we will. Oh, I'm sure. And, uh, um, you know, they, they, they just, we have good relationships with, uh, you know, Showy I've been with for a long time. Joe, I'm back with Joe Rocket this year, which has been a long time sponsor over the years of my leathers. Um, you know, and obviously new colors on the leather. Yeah, exactly. So the bikes are going to, and the leathers are, uh, basically before it was, they were blue and black, mm-hmm. um, to match the Mopar theme. Now we have some Kawasaki green in there and the green and blue looks fantastic mm-hmm. yeah, together. Yeah. It's going to look dynamite. It looks um, And really now good. you mentioned this at the beginning, the helmet, is that like other forms of racing? That is the one that still truly identifies the drivers, the one that they have complete control over. In many cases, you know, the rights are owned by the driver. Is that the case in bikes? Uh, I would assume so, but... Uh, it, it depends on the team, you know. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, for example, I would have never left Joe Rocket or never left uh, Showy. I had to leave them for a couple years because of other sponsors, mm. right? That, you know, where you come into a team and the team has this sponsor, but... For the most part, in racing, your leathers and your helmet are are you as a rider. Yeah. Obviously, your leathers would have to maybe look what the team wants you to look like, you know. And uh, but the the actual um, uh, brand and personal that's your personal sponsorship. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been lucky to be with Shoei most of my career, which is a safe helmet, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the paint on it. Uh, we've had the same painter since 1998. Really? So they've been with me the whole time. And uh, so, the, you know, and they, we've had showy replicas. You can get a Zolk replica in the past and things like that. So, yeah, it's very iconic to the rider. Um, you know, my helmet's changed designs here and there. But for the most part, it's had some key elements have stayed for all those years. What Now, I know this from talking to other racers. A lot of those key elements tend to be either family-related or historical. What What's the significance of some of those pieces on your helmet? Um, some of it was just the, the mind of the artist, the mm-hmm. designer, you know, uh, he likes to have certain things that, that he's kept on my helmets for all those years. Um, the other one is, uh, my dragon. Um, I've had a Japanese dragon on, on my stuff for a long time. Dra- like Japanese dragons are good dragons. Mm-hmm. They're, they're koi when they're not dragons. Yep. So there's a koi sometimes on my helmet and, uh, Blackfoot, you know, they've been yep. on my helmet for almost 20 years. They've been a sponsor wow. on my helmet forever. Wow, that's, going back to the business relationship of things, to be able to say that, it's like it's like when I hear Ron Fellows talk about his relationship with Chevy, you know what I mean? To be able to have that long-standing relationship with someone that believes in you and has been there for those good and bad years. Um, you know, going back to that or- original point about Canadian Tire, we never really give sponsors or do credit sometimes, do we? Because without them... We wouldn't be doing much, would we? No, that's it, right? And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, in some ways in Canada, obviously recession hurt mm. Canada, but a lot of the, the manufacturers were spending so much money. The budgets were outrageous. Yeah. You know, our salaries were, were awesome. You but actually they, had a salary. Oh, huge salary, <laughs> huge salary. Uh, so the 
the issue was is I don't think the teams were outside of your smaller sponsors, your change, your sprockets, which are a big deal, mm-hmm. adds up quickly. Um, they weren't looking for bigger, big enough title sponsors to offset the costs. So it just got a little blown out of proportion. And then uh, they just came in and said, what the hell are we doing here? That, you know, the Japanese just axed everything mm-hmm. when their trouble was hitting. And I, so I think that was the, the issue uh, is they were just, it was the heyday. So everybody was just spending money, but they weren't the management of the racing teams at that time wasn't looking enough to it where car racing has always been that way, yeah. you know, uh, you know, or, or, you know, world Superbike, MotoGP has been that way as well, but car racing for the most part has always been outside sponsorship. Mm. It's at the end of the day, I remember this happened when I did uh, the formula 2000 uh, for a weekend or whatnot. And it was a f- free event. It was, you know, they, they were trying to get some advertising out of us or whatnot. And the guy that ran the Bridgestone thing at the time said, who's your sponsor? And everybody's, well, we don't have a sponsor. It's like, I'm your sponsor. I'm the one that's paying for this today. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, it's about, you know, the racing academy, blah, blah, blah. I want to make sure that I get something out of it, right? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, this is exactly it. You always have someone that's either sponsoring you or believing in you, be it a fan or a business or whatnot. Um, You said it earlier. There are so many variables in play weather, you know, how you take a particular corner, how the idiot, you know, took that corner, you know, the list goes on to be able to luckily get through all, all that strategically get through all of that, you know, skillfully get through all of that and to do it successfully consistently. Um, you know, I said this earlier when I brought up the European thing, it's, it's a shame that in Canada we have scenarios such as yourself where you know you're you're a multi-time defending champion type of stuff um and yet we're struggling with audiences we're struggling with turnouts we're struggling with this and that and yet the talent's there you know and i've always been frustrated on the canadian racing side because i've, I've seen some stellar you know people come through the ranks and as you say you brought it up what we bring to the table as a country to these things is yeah, and it's I mean yeah. it's just tough, you know. Like I said, Canada, it's it's uh, it's a pastime, not a way of life. Yeah. Um, you know, so when I was younger, you know, I've, I've been through it all. Like, you know, we'd go to the racetrack as a family, mm. and my mom would go. We'd all have a great time. Nowadays, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it can go either way, and I, I mean, I have a, a foot to stand on here because my wife is a huge motorcycle mm-hmm. nut. So now was she before you? She, yes. Okay. That's how you met. That's okay. how we met. So you got to remember when I say this, it's, it's tough, but most my friends in their twenties and thirties had to sell all their bikes yeah. because they were going to get married and all this and they had to, they lose it all. So right now the biggest market for motorcycling is the, uh, older guys yep. and because they're getting some freedom again. So I'd like to see, um, you know, some of my friends get motorcycles again <laughs> and, but they just don't want to, uh, I guess maybe stand up for themselves. Yeah. And, and you know what? It, it makes my wife furious when one of our buddies has to sell his bike because his wife wants him to. Mm. And I, I hate to say that cause there's a lot of great women out there in the sport, but it, my, my wife's trying to get more women involved. Yes. Right. So she gets really mad at that. So we, we as a, a family are trying to tell, Hey, look, this is a family thing. You can all come and do this. You can all go, uh, to a trials event or you can all go riding somewhere uh, camping as mm-hmm. a family 
and get that back. And I think that's why the numbers are down, not just in the sales, but numbers at events. Yeah. And and way the Mossport's been a great thing is the camping, the family atmosphere of, of everybody coming up and camping with their kids and drinking beer in the corner and having a barbecue yeah. and, and really enjoying yourself. The proclamations yeah, from the corner so too. That's, that's <laughs> it, right? But that's how we have to uh, uh, pr- push it back is say, uh, this is a family thing and, uh, you know, so you're, you know, you know, you don't need to go to the keg or whatever everybody wants to go on the weekend. Why don't you go away camping with your family at the racetrack and have some fun, right? That was the, the biggest thing that um, I loved uh, about being able to go to Mosport because I typically would do the camping there, you know. Um, the lights would come down, the campfires would start coming up, and the hum around the track it was you know it's part of the event as you say it's and then you know you wake up and it's seven o'clock and all of a sudden the the cars are on the track doing their their warm-ups and you're being awoken by you know engines or whatnot it's like you can't compare that you know that's you know that's an experience and as you say to be able to do that with your family to to experience all of that uh, as a group and when you talk about your wife and your kid and the stuff that you're doing, it's that family thing. It's, you know, you said it best that, you know, when you grew up, that was part of your life. And yes, it's an optional thing in, in case, but it sounds like you're, you've got willing participants. Yeah. And that's it. You know, I'm lucky. I, you know, my family's into it. Yeah. Right. Now, she, Amy races actually as well now, yeah. right? When, yeah. when did she start racing or she, was she racing she's before? Been, she's been racing on the national series since 05 or 06. Can't remember exactly, but she's been on the national series for a long time. So, there. Uh, how many times would would, the, would it be the exact same schedule? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 how does that work from a family point of view? Because I know how hectic weekends are, uh, especially when you're, you know, um, not necessarily on the big teams where you, you know, you're, you're renting your own stuff and whatnot. Um, that must be a crazy weekend for you guys. Well, it is, and obviously, uh, I come first because of course. it's it's the way it works. On you know, but um, you know, it's no lack of uh, effort by the whole crew and mm. team for her either. Yeah. Um. So she 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 understands that, and she's just trying to have some fun and enjoy it. You know, like I said, now is she, she being crewed by the same people? Uh, How does that work? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, like it's um, well, we have a an ex, like extra crew. Yeah. Um, but they do all work together. Yes. So it shows she's not in a competitive team or, or competing team or, or no, or, no. We all work like, together. Okay. Uh, basically, like a two rider team. Basically. Yeah. Okay. So there, it's all working together. Last year was e- e- you know easy in some ways because we were all on the same bike. This year she's on a different bike again. Uh, so it's just a little different, but it's going to be uh, um, an easier year for her and easier year for our crew with the bike she's riding this year. So. Just because of the complexity of the bike? Yeah, or? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a really spec uh, bike. It's the 400 mm. um, lightweight class, uh, so it's just uh, a lot easier to take care of. Yeah. Now, obviously you're well past this in your career or whatnot, but when you see someone get on a bike such as Amy or whatnot, does it still go through your your brain? Do you get anxious about that? Because it is racing. Yeah, yes. for me, uh, I would say, um, you know, as you get older, the nerves get worse. You mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, it's beforehand. Well, and you've also got kids now, and whatnot. You're, you know, your priorities yeah, and they, focus. Yeah, I mean, uh, that stuff doesn't bother no? me. It's okay. more, it's just your nerves wear on you. I mean, when you're, you're under the pressure, it's do or die. Yep. You know, you win or you lose, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you're, you know, as they, you know. If you're not first, you're last. Mm-hmm. Basically, that that uh, all those years, the pressure um, just starts to to wear on you. Um, 
my favorite part of the weekend, uh, you know, is the setting up the bike, getting it to the point where it can win, going through all those procedures. I, I'm a uh, smart rider. I, mm. You know, some riders couldn't tell you how to check the air filter. You know what I mean? Like Marquez, for example, mm-hmm. Mark Marquez, I'm sure he couldn't even tell you how to fill up a tire, but he's an amazing rider. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I got, I'm, uh, have a very good technical understanding and that's the key to my success. So I, I like to, uh, enjoy, I really enjoy working with the crew and, and the, uh, technicians on making the bike perfect as we can and then getting it to that point and then i love qualifying where it's just you i could do without the racing to be honest with you Mm. um you know where you get out there and i love like so you're more of a solo one guy yeah i mean i I, even in the race i would i push hard to uh uh put myself in the right position but if i have any chance where i feel i can get away and get away from everybody Mm. that's my goal but uh, if but I is d- there something to be said about you know we were talking about drag and and drafting and all that? There's something about fuel economy and all that where you don't want to be. Yeah, you want to save your tires, yeah. and obviously you have to approach those type of races differently. You yeah. know, in Mossport, you want to be like, okay, chances are you're not going to get away uh, from anybody, so you want to make sure you're calm and put yourself in the right positions for the end of the race. I, I and once again, I, I I bring this up. It's bad enough to see you go on board through Mossport. But to also do that in a pack and in drafting, <laughs> you're crazy, man. Crazy. Um, I want to end this uh, on uh, on something that, um, you know, is open-ended. What haven't we covered? What do you want to cover? Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Because there's a general chit-chat or whatnot. Um, I'll tell you what. I, I asked this earlier, and may- maybe just for my own sake, I'd love to hear it. Walk me through uh, 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 Mosport. From 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 a, a hot lap. Okay, so obviously uh, bikes are very sensitive to track conditions more than anything, mainly bumps, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's happening more and more with uh, especially MotoGP because F1 cars are so damn fast. Yep. <laughs> and they create little ripples in the track that you don't see, but the bikes pick up. So uh, obviously most sport you get a lot of chatter and you have a lot of that because everything is over a hill. Every corner is over a hill. Mm-hmm. So the bike's unweighted. And, uh, so it's very difficult to carry speed there, which is what you need to do. So turn one is, uh, is a difficult corner because it's downhill, uh, hard braking downhill with, uh, a lot of bumps and then there's, uh, pavement seams. Mm-hmm. So you, and you have a boat, realistically, the fastest line through there is about a foot wide between mm-hmm. seams. Mm-hmm. So you got to tr- hit your point really where a car is a little more forgiving there, right? You can run over those. Now, are um, you typically looking for visual cues, or you just kind of get a, got a feel for? Um, for uh, get a good question yeah. there. For turn one, I always make sure they got the pylons out and mm-hmm. in good spots. Or, uh, I always and that bug, the pylons are at the right yeah, spot. Well, I always bug Andre. Uh, yeah. I got my pylons out. So the, for me, I, a lot of corners I can just look at. Yeah. But for for turn one, at most part, uh, pylons are very key. Turn well, two, it's a, bl- it's a blind, long sweeping. That's corner, it, right? Yeah. So turn two, though, is a visual and a mm. feel thing for me. It's all, that's natural. And turn two is probably my strongest corner in all of racing. I, I pass more guys in two than any other track. Um, you now, know, you would have experienced two through the variations over the years. Oh, it's yeah. not as crazy as it was back in the day. Well, yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I had the lap record in 1999, which was the last of the old track, mm. right? And uh, it was narrow, especially turn four. 
Uh, well, I was under the bridge. Yeah, going under down the here. bridge, yeah. So, yeah, turn two's, uh, you know, Sterling Moss says it's probably the best corner in racing, right? It's mm-hmm. a very unique corner because you got to pitch it in, especially on a bike. You got to lay it down on your knee before the corner. You're actually on your knee on the straightaway. Really? Yeah. You, you were prepping that much before. Wow. And so you're turning it in to fly over that hill unweighted. And then when it weights up again, now you can start focusing on looking down the corner and try to accelerate um, all the way through to three. Yeah, because uh, prior to that point, there'd be no point. The car, uh, the bike's not settled at that point. Believe it or not, yeah. Mossport is such a strange track. The bike spends almost zero times of the lap at straight up and down. Really? Oh, so wow. even yeah, yeah. all the straightaways there, it, it's such a swooping track. Yeah. And it's very hard with traction control there because it, traction control works off lean angle. Wait, wait, you, you guys have traction control? Yeah, I, see, I, I don't know these things. Yeah, I'm we have shocked by traction that. control. Um, we have, and it all works off a lean angle. Wow. We, we can control our power, all that stuff, wow. right? Wow, okay. Wheel, wheelie control, all that. Yeah, okay. Engine braking. And so. So you're coming out of two. You're coming out of two. The bike's leaned over and then you swoop to three. It's th- and then you're leaned over the other way. Yeah. And it's a brake, heavy braking three because it's uphill. And uh, same thing, there's a very small window there for line because of the pavement. And then uh, basically pin it out of there and really want to let it go wide. Yeah. And get well, there's it so much tra- track, track out there, yeah. for, yeah. So you want to get it up on the meat of the tire, A, to save the tire and uh, not eat up all your side grip, and B, not let the traction control pull too much out because it works by lean angle. Mm-hmm. So you want to really run it out as far as you can there in the meat of the power. And then you want to get over to the right a bit at the same time. So now you can swoop into four. And the way way into four is very similar to two. You pitch it, you're on your knee before the corner. And uh, so you, that you end up. So mm. it's all by chance. You're mm. pitching it, hoping to end up over a hill at 180 kilometers an hour at the right spot. Yeah, it's very... Uh, um, bikes, like I said, they're different. Like a car you would set up a little differently where the, the bike, you have to throw it onto its side before the corner. Now, in, in the case of uh, four, for my own sakes, are, are you braking going into four or are you carrying that speed? You're, you're trail braking a bit, and okay. that's aided to set the bike up, okay. right? Not necessarily... Uh, you're braking did... pretty hard, but not that hard. Yeah. Now, going into 5A, 5B. 5A, 5B is, is very heavy braking, and it's up a wall there. So it the, that's where you bottom the forks out. Yeah, I was um, going to say, because I've used that that wall, that that lip at the bottom to slow the car down. Yeah. It's amazing how much that'll slow the car down. Yeah, it's a, it's a wall. Yeah. If you ever ride a bicycle around that track, you'll realize how steep that well, yeah, corner I, is. Yeah, but when you do a track walk, you yeah. really appreciate it. Okay, yeah. please continue. So 5A and B, um, you got it. the pavement's so polished in there from the cars traction is very limited and uh, it's rough and crappy as you know out in the outside so you can't take quite a wide a line as you would like to on a mm-hmm. motorcycle there um, so you just got to be a little careful in there now and you hinted that f- that corner is more forgiving on a bike in terms of the impact on the back straight is on that the, yeah obviously if you do the corner right and get a good drive yeah so a lot of times I I'll get passed between 5A and 5B, and it's just an act of desperation yeah. by the other rider. That still blows my mind that you'd be passing it between 5A and 5B. Yeah, it's it's more of a desperation thing because, it, it for me, I slow down a little bit mm. between the two and so I can get a better drive up the yeah. back straightaway because if you try to carry too much, then you don't get a good drive. Yeah. So it's all about getting out of the 
and the curb's very high in B, so it's tough to carry leaned over. So you got to have the bike almost a little more straight up and down. So I try to really square that off at the apex a little more to get a better drive. Well, that's that the other thing, too, I just realized. The curb would impact the bike considerably more than it would a car, too. Yeah. And so anytime you tr- do a bad curbing on, on any of those things, you're probably paying the price. Yeah, because you're leaning over, you're hanging so yeah. far over. And like, if you think about it, my shoulder, my elbow, my knee are three feet away from where the tire is. That is, it just blows my mind. Sorry, crazy, man. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> so coming coming out of uh, one of the most iconic back straights, that's not a back straight. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah, it's a curve, yeah. and uh, so the the second last hump before you get to eighty, yep. um, the, that's where you grab six gear on the bike, and usually I use uh, six gear to bring the wheelie down. Mm. It, fifth mm-hmm. gear, it wheelies over the hump, so I would bang. You're actually wheeling over the hump. You have to roll out of it there. Wow. Yeah. So the six gear, right there, you use the shift to keep the front end down. Oh, okay. And. Uh, um, and then basically coming into eight, um, it's kind of as you go over the, over the hump and it used to be a lot bigger, yep. as you remember, uh, you go over the hump and as the bike settles is when you start braking, uh, for eight, um, and get your downshifts in. For and, eight. That, and, that, and eight, because that's a nice long sweeping. That must be thrilling in a bike. Yeah, it's, it is, um, it's very, um, uh, hard all weekend long as you build up toward mm. the race to get your get in there deeper and deeper and deeper that's probably the the corner that takes the most all week to get in properly now you're saying getting into eight not getting into nine you're, yeah you're talking like carrying self- breaking later and carrying speed in there that's uh one of the corners i i think that uh you know really you're you even until the race you're not even at your max there mm. you know, yeah well it is yeah, it's, you're benefiting from being able to leverage that back straight for so much longer, relatively speaking. Yeah, yeah. You know, when we're talking microseconds, those things do matter. But yeah, it's uh, so going into nine. So turn nine is uh, obviously a big passing mm-hmm. area um, in the race, and coming out of there to ten. So so is there a lot of contact in nine? Considering it's yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah mm-hmm. nine's a high contact area. Yeah. 10 is too, because, uh, you know, you can try to stand somebody up there yep. and, uh, and get to the line. Um, and obviously the pavement in those corners too is, is a little rougher and, and patched up. Um, most slow corners are, they get beat up, right? Yeah. So that, that's, uh, you know, you need to get your bike working. Well, especially with there. 10, there's been a lot of semis driving in that area. Yeah, that exactly. Area for years. Yeah. When I think uh, of the fact that you do that in the rain as well, no, obviously there'd be racing lines very similar in that sense. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, again, um, you, the track, you have to have knowledge, and obviously, because there's going to be areas of the track that are slipperier oh. than others. There's um, rain at 5 and sunlight at 2. Well, and, and just um, the way the pavement is, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and what's flowing across the track, because the sand comes off the yeah. hills and gets carried across the track so that that's what makes uh mossport so tricky in the rain is you have little rivers mm-hmm. wow see and like i said it's, it's all those things it's bad enough that 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 you're capable of even a- attempting that and, and this is the compliment to then also be a champion of that on a regular basis you know I, I'm thrilled to have been able to have this conversation with you. It's, I got. I have a quick yeah, Mossport story. For yeah, 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 yeah. Go for it. 
So uh, I can't remember what year it was, 06, 07, 07 or 08. Um, it was raining at Mossboro, which is normal. Mm-hmm. And, but it was uh, cold. It is the most poor triangle. Yeah, but it is. it was cold. Mm. It was really cold. So um, there was a red flag in the 600 race. And, uh, and then um, there was a restart. And then I crashed in the lead and caused a red flag. So this is the second red flag. Yeah. But there was also another crash on the same lap that caused a red flag. So they let me start at the back of the grid. Mm. And because that crash didn't count as a result. Exactly. Yeah. So, so and this is the second red flag of the race, a 600 race. Mm. And I made it up to third. And there was another red flag. So now I got to start from third. And I won the race. And I was in my leathers... And I was uh, borderline hypothermia at the end. Mm-hmm. I was in the trailer. My my trainer was with me, used to travel with me a lot. And they had me wrapped in blankets, and they were giving me coffee to drink. And uh, I was shaking, and they had me, like, wrapped in blankets. I was so pale. I was co- so cold because I was in my leathers soaking wet for, like, it, I think the race took three hours. Yeah. It was, it was and as you say, you, you get cool breezes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it the... was it was a cold day. Normally, yeah. when you rain at Mossberg, it's hot. Yeah. And, right. But it was a cold one. No, I I love the fact that that particular location just throws everything at you. It, it's you know from weather to to you know diversity from one part of the track to the other. And well, like I said, it's it's it, it holds a special place in my heart. But you know that's uh, one of many tracks in the world. But you know, like I said, Laguna Seca, the concept of taking the corkscrew on two wheels is just spellbinding to me. Yeah, yeah, you it's know? pretty fun. Yeah, well, it's a spectacular corner, too. It's In any case, um, I want to wrap this up because, obviously, I've taken up a lot of your time, and I, I thoroughly have enjoyed this conversation, so so thank you. Uh, the charity, of course, is uh, the Cancer Foundation uh, Princess Margaret, so if you've enjoyed this conversation, uh, do donate. Uh, uh, it is our way of uh, promoting... Uh, 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 causes while giving you good content. So thank you again, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.